0: This is the story of salvation. It's a story of salvation. It's what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's a story of really what Luke is driving home in his gospel. And that is, he's writing this gospel he tells us at the very beginning. He's writing so that those who are beloved by God might know with such certainty What the everlasting Father has done for the world in His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to read beginning in verse 14 all the way down through verse 30. But what you'll notice in your Bible is that verse 14 marks a shift it's a It's really a change in the narrative it, it It happens a number of times in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, as we're making our way through the book together, we'll notice really some sign mark verses in the Gospel that will cause us to be aware of a shift in the narrative because up until this point, We've been looking at Jesus in his time of preparation. We've looked at his birth. We've considered his preparation and his upbringing. We've looked at his baptism and his time of testing. And today we're going to witness as Jesus launches in to his ministry. Notice there in verse 14, he, he is launching into this ministry in Galilee. In fact, uh, chapter 4 of Luke's gospel all the way through chapter 9 will center on Jesus's ministry in Galilee. We're going to see Jesus' teaching in Galilee, the miracles that he performs in Galilee. And then in the middle of chapter 9, in Luke 9 verse 50, there's another shift. There's another shift in the narrative. And we read in, in verse 50, we're told that Jesus at that point set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is headed at that moment in the narrative. He shifts from ministering in this region of Galilee. Now Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. The Bible says he set his face toward it. He, he knows that he is headed to the city, to a, to a, to a hillside And ultimately, to a cruel Roman cross, Jesus will be on his way to Jerusalem, where there he will atone for the sins of the world. And the Bible says that Jesus will be on this journey to Jerusalem. He he will, from chapter 9 all the way almost through chapter 19, he will be teaching, he will be ministering, he will be doing all of these miraculous things, but it's all on the way as Jesus is headed there to the cross. And then in chapters 19 through 21 of Luke's gospel, we'll read of his betrayal and ultimately how Jesus is delivered up to be crucified. And then the final three chapters of Luke is really centering in on the crucifixion, on His burial, on His resurrection, and ultimately His ascension back to God the Father. And so this morning, we're picking up verse 14 of chapter 4, and we're beginning as Jesus is launching out into His public ministry. So would you stand to your feet this morning as we read Luke's gospel, beginning in verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through verse 30. The Word of God says, And Jesus... Returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And it was his custom. And as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. And he unrolled the scroll. And found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering the sight of the blind. And He set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, Elisha, And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Father, Lord, we ask for your spirit to help us, Lord, as we turn to this passage to, Lord, to see what it is you would have us see, and, God, to hear what we need to hear, and, Lord, ultimately to make a decision as those in that day made a decision about Jesus. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I need your help this morning, and so together, God, we look to you for what you'll do in this service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, we're simply, the title of the message is this, the the mission of the Messiah. The mission of the Messiah. The Bible says in verse 14, notice in your Bible what happens. Jesus now returns. Here he is. He's coming out of the wilderness, remember? He's coming out of the time of testing and temptation, and now he is brought in the power of the Spirit of God, and he comes to Galilee. And the Bible says a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, And he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all. Now, those of you that have a study Bible, you could turn in the very back to the section of maps. I hope you've ever looked at that. And there you could see this picture of the region of Galilee. Galilee, if you're looking at a map, is north of Israel. It's actually quite far north, northeast of Israel and of of Jerusalem and, and, and above Jerusalem, there is this separation of the region of Samaria. Remember Jesus one day encountered a woman at the well there in Samaria, and the Bible says that Jesus said that he must needs go through Samaria. And so the Samaritans were, were ones that the Jews disdained. They, they cared nothing for Samaritans. In fact, many uh, Jewish people would travel around the entire region of Samaria. Well, Jesus is there and he's in Galilee, in fact, we're told that Galilee is the region in where Jesus grows up. He comes, the Bible says, out of the town of Nazareth. Now, if you look at the map and you see there the the, uh, Sea of Galilee, it's really to the west, way out in the boonies is this town of Nazareth. In fact, Nazareth was just a rural podunk little town Bible scholars say at Jesus's time maybe 500 people okay so we're not talking about a very large place but Jesus here in chapter 4 is returning and the Bible says in verse 16 he came to Nazareth and so this is Jesus going back to his hometown He's, he's going back to where he grew up, and, and, and you know that Jesus knows these people. They're well familiar with him. He's familiar with them. He could tell us their names, and he comes to his uh, hometown of Nazareth. And, and, and if you notice in your Bibles, verse 14 and 15, look down in your Bible. The Bible says that as Jesus went... And he came back in the power of the Spirit. He goes to Galilee, and notice the end of verse 14, and all the surrounding country, and what is Jesus doing? He's teaching in their synagogues. And so so Luke, in his gospel... Uh, pretty much uh, skips a lot of what we can pick up in other portions of Scripture, either from the book of John or, or in Mark's Gospel. And what you see is that verses 14 and 15 are just a summary statement of what has been happening in the life of Christ because there is a considerable amount of time be- between Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and ultimately this account where he's at the synagogue in Nazareth. In fact, it could be the better part of a year, okay? And so almost a year goes by, Jesus, notice, is in the surrounding country. He's in that whole region of Galilee and parts of Judea, and Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. Remember, Mark tells us, he goes out proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so Jesus, notice, has been proclaiming and doing, notice, in verse 15, Jesus is doing what? What is Jesus doing in verse 15? He's teaching, really. This is at the heart of Jesus's earthly ministry. You know, we see Jesus doing miracles, we see Jesus showing compassion and doing all these things, but but really the the thrust of what Jesus did during his public ministry is that he is teaching. The Bible says, notice in the verse 16, he's being glorified by all. So 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 there is a great buzz at this time, being stirred up about Jesus, about what he is doing, about his teaching. Uh, If there was social media back then, Jesus would be trending on the top charts, okay? Uh, Things are going really well. Everyone knows him. Jesus is teaching. And really, that statement that people said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In fact, now something good was coming out of Nazareth. There's this rabbi teacher, his name is Jesus, and he's going around and he's teaching in all of these synagogues, and the Bible says, verse 16, look in your Bibles, he came to his hometown, to a village with people that Jesus grew up with. People didn't travel back to Nazareth. If you (laughs) left Nazareth, you didn't come back home to Nazareth. And everybody knows him. Everybody knows Jesus from his father's workshop. The Bible says that Joseph was a carpenter. And so Jesus is there working in the father's business, right? Up until when he was about 30 years of age, during Jesus' childhood and his upbringing, he's there at Joseph and Sons, all right? He's working in the carpentry business of what is this farming agricultural community. And so probably, you know, Jesus is there uh, working in all different types of carpentry and tables and and uh, maybe uh, yokes for oxen. And so he's building, Jesus is making and doing all these things. And people know him. And so notice verse 16, he comes back, but but now he's no longer a little boy. He's, He's not even a mature young man. Now Jesus comes back to his hometown, and he is a rabbi. He is a teacher of the scriptures, and he has been recognized in all of these synagogues. This would have been a big deal. Jesus is coming back. To this podunk town of maybe 500 people. We were told that in order to have a synagogue, there had to be at least 10 Jewish men. And so this is not a big synagogue by any means. In fact, maybe just a couple dozen people. And yet Jesus, he comes back as this scholar, as this rabbi. This would have been huge for that town. Because no one in that town probably had much education. All the education, all the scholarly work was happening down in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And there was no one of any significance that had ever come out of Nazareth until now. Because now, Jesus, notice verse 16, he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And Luke skips over the fact that Jesus had been doing these miracles, right? He had done his first miracle at the wedding, remember there in Cana. And Jesus turned the water into what? To wine. So Jesus had done a miracle in in Cana, which was just a stone's throw away from Nazareth. So people knew who Jesus was. They, They knew what he was doing, verse 16. And as it was his... What's the next word in verse 16? Say it louder. And as it was his what? His custom. He goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. You say, what's the synagogue? It was a gathering place. It was a place where people would gather, Jewish men would gather. Really, these started springing up out of through the Babylonian captivity. Remember, God's people had been brought into exile, and they come out of exile, and the tabernacle and the temple and everything had been destroyed. And so what you find popping up around Israel are these synagogues. Think of it like an old covenant church, kind of. And the Bible says that it was his custom to go. You say, why did Jesus go? Why did Jesus go? Because he felt like it? Is that what it says? Did he go to the synagogue because he felt like it? Why not? What does it say? Because it was his what? His custom. This was a fixed point in the life of Jesus. Synagogue's open. I'm going to be there. You know, the thing is, so many of us today in the church. We gather with the church when we feel like it. We say, we wake up, we say, well, I wonder how I feel. Oh, it's raining today. I don't know if I can go to church, you know? I mean, I just, it's it's mind-boggling to me the amount of convenience we have here in the West and how much of a convenience and feeling we associate with church. And yet I can remember being in Africa just a few summers ago where people would take a boat ride from an island with no electricity. Some of you, imagine waking up this morning, power's out of the house, oh, not going to church today, you know? But people, no electricity, take a, take a two-hour boat ride to get to a village to drive a boat, a boat, a bicycle, to get to a thatched roof building in a dirt floor, and they sit because it's their custom to go. Listen, I'm telling you what, it, it really concerns me as a pastor. Not just as a pastor, as a parent, it concerns me. When I look back at my life and I see the amount of investment that my mom and family poured into us as kids, that we would be at church when the church is open, that we would gather with the church when the church is there. And then you look at the church today and you say, well, wow, there's so much less classes and programming and, and times, and yet, Yet, some people, the the statistic right now is average church attendance was just a couple years ago two times a month. I think it's probably moving closer to once a month. That's not Jesus. Jesus said, It's my custom, it's a fixed point in my week. There's a lot of other things that could be happening, but if synagogues open, Jesus is there. Now, you have to imagine, right, Jesus must have done this from a little boy, because where else is Jesus getting this information about the scriptures? Where is Jesus? I mean, you know, we read that he's there in the temple at Jerusalem and times, but he's growing up in Nazareth, so he's there with scrolls in this synagogue that that, that may have just been parts or whole, and, and that there was one for the whole synagogue. And so Jesus is there. How is he learning the scriptures? How is he meditating on the scripture? How is he memorizing the scripture? He's going as a little boy to synagogue, and he's unveiling and rolling back these big scrolls, and he's, he's learning and memorizing and finding. We're going to see that here. Jesus knows his Bible. And yet some of us, we have all the technology in the world. We have all the influence and, and, and stuff that we can have at our fingertips, and yet some of us haven't appeared in our Bible this week. And yet Jesus goes to the synagogue as was his custom because this was important to Jesus. I wonder, is it important to you? Is it important to you to gather with the church? Is it even more important for you to crack open the word of God and the scriptures that Jesus had grown up with? You see, this wasn't Jesus having a Bible in his home. Jesus had to go to synagogue to get a copy, to even read or look at a copy of God's word and so notice that was a long rabbit trail but it's important because he goes notice as was his custom notice what happens during the service what happens Jesus stood up now I understand all of us are not familiar with synagogue order of worship when was the last time you went to a synagogue right so you're like wait a minute what's happening here okay well I'm glad you asked here's what's happening When they would gather at the synagogue, what would happen is there would be a time where they would begin with what was called the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's what Israel would recite. Notice the verses overhead. Lift up your voice. Let's recite what they would recite as they gathered together there in synagogue. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Do we have it? Here we go. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when they gathered in synagogue, they would lift up their voice and recite the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Then they would sing songs. They would sing hymns. They would sing portions of the Psalms. They would share in prayer. Then somebody would stand to their feet and they would read and they would be given from the attendant a portion of selected readings like we're reading through the book of Psalms except for they they would be reading through the Torah, the first five books of the law. And so someone would stand up. They would be given by the attendant the, the scripture. They would read the scripture and then they would sit down. Then someone else would stand up and they would be given by the attendant Another scroll, this time not the law, but the prophets, and then that person would sit down and they would give a sermon. In those days, you didn't stand to preach, you sat down. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And so uh, Jesus, someone would sit down and they would teach and they would exposit and they would give a, pretty much a sermon over all the texts that were read and sung that morning and then they would sit back down. Someone else would come and stand up and they would give the benediction. They would give a blessing over the people and they would be dismissed. But notice here, on this particular day, Jesus is given a scroll and he is reading from what? Someone tell me. Isaiah. He's reading from the prophets. Beginning with me in verse 17. Notice, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and say the next three words. And what? What? He found the place. Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus opened the scriptures. He found the place. And he read. What did he read? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You say, what's so striking about that? It's striking in what he reads because Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah. He finds the passage pertaining to the coming Messiah, this promised deliverer of one who is to come. And notice at the end, he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. This is really a connection to the year of Jubilee. You see, every 50 years in the life of Israel, there was this year of celebration. It was called the year of Jubilee. All debts were canceled. How does that sound? Who's ready for year of jubilee, right? All debts were canceled. All slaves were freed. It was a time of rejoicing. And Jesus comes and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads about the Messiah. Verse 20, notice as the story continues. He rolled up the scroll he gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. He's not sitting in the crowd. Jesus sat down to teach. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. They're waiting for Jesus' exposition. They're waiting for Jesus to give the sermon. Notice how did Jesus' sermon begin? Today, this passage, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop right? I mean, the long-anticipated Messiah, the one that we've been searching for, it's over. Jesus is saying, I'm here. I'm the one. The time of God is fulfilled. The salvation of God has arrived for his people. Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You say, how did the people respond? Notice verse 22. All spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, what did they say? Lift up your voice and say it. <laughs> is this not Joseph's son? Right? Because the people are amazed at what he speaks, but they are troubled by what he says. Wait a minute. Wait. Time out, Jesus, right? I mean, this is, can you imagine what's happening in the synagogue? I mean, Jesus says today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Instantly, the place is in an uproar wait a minute. I mean, Jesus, that good sermon and all, you sounded really nice, you know, well communicated. Wait, what do you mean it's fulfilled? In you? You're Joseph's son. We know you. Your family's poor. You came from Nazareth. We're in Nazareth, right? I mean, you get what people are saying about it? What, Jesus? You're not impressive. You can't be the one. Jesus, we know you. You're the carpenter's son. You're not the Messiah. You see, Jews in that day had an image of what the Messiah would be as this conquering king. Jesus didn't fit, Jesus didn't fit the box. And their estimation? They, 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 wait a minute, Jesus, you are the Messiah? No, Jesus, you're the carpenter's son. Notice verse 23. Jesus said, Yea, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself for what you have did at Capernaum, do here at your hometown as well. You see what they're saying? They want a sign. They said, Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, then prove it to us. Show us. Show us. Just like you did at that wedding. If, if you are the Messiah, Jesus, then show us that you are the Messiah. Physician, heal yourself. It's like saying you never go to a sick doctor or you never trust a skinny cook, right? So, so here these people are like, Jesus, if you're claiming to be that, then show us that you are. But notice Jesus doesn't give them a sign. In fact, it's not because Jesus can't give them a sign. Jesus won't give them a sign. Why? Because he knows that even if he does, they will not believe. They're really not asking with a genuine heart. This, are you Joseph's son, aren't you Joseph's son, is really revealing their disbelief. Jesus said, notice verse 24, truly I say, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. How does Jesus end it? He's getting all of this pushback from these people that he's not the Messiah. So what does Jesus say? Hey, prophets are never popular. In fact, just go back and look at the Old Testament and look at the prophets of God really weren't popular people. In fact, Jesus shows us two prophets. He talks about Elijah and Elisha. And what are these two prophets? Both of these prophets, Jesus said, had come from God. Both of these prophets have the word of God. And yet they did not perform signs and miracles in Israel. Why not? Because of their unbelief. Because of the hardness of heart. Notice Jesus said in verse 25, Truly I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. But Elijah didn't go to all the widows. Notice, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. This is not an Israelite. Elijah goes to not an Israelite woman. And in the same way, notice verse 27, there were many leopards in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the what? So Jesus said, hey, both of these prophets came from God. They came with the word of God, but they didn't proclaim it to the people of Israel. Why? Because of their sin and unbelief. And so God seeks those outside. He goes to this widow in Zarephath. He goes to the Syrian, both Gentile people, and yet the word of God goes To them, So notice what's happening here. Jesus is in the synagogue. We're wondering what's going to take place. Notice verse 28. Then when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with, what's the next word? Wrath. Rage. They get up. They rose up, drove him out of town, brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. What are they about to do to Jesus? They're going to stone him. They're going to throw him off the cliff, and they're going to hurl stones down. And who are these people? These are Jesus's friends. They're his neighbors. They're his family, his extended family. This is a small town, and they're filled with rage. You say, why are they filled with rage? They're filled with rage, not at Jesus's miracles. They're filled at rage because of his words. You realize today every one of us must answer for ourselves this question. Who is Jesus? You can't answer that for the person sitting next to you. You can't answer it for the person in front of you. All of us, though, today will answer. Who is Jesus? Will we embrace him? Will we believe in him? Will we reject him? Really, the question is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And it reminds me of the story that C.S. Lewis told in his book, uh, The Silver Chair. Any of you ever read the series on Narnia? Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. He writes about a young girl. Her name is Jill. And Jill entered into this strange world in this strange wood there in Narnia. And she comes with her friend Eustace. But due to her poor judgment, she finds herself in a place where she's now separated from Eustace. She's separated from her friends. She's all alone, and she's thirsty, and she's walking in search of water, and she finds a stream. And she stops, and Lewis writes this. But although her sight of water made her feel ten times thirstier than before, she didn't rush forward and drink. She stood as still If as she had been turned into stone, with her mouth wide open, she had a very good reason. Just on the side of the stream lay the lion. If you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, she stared there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said it again. If you are thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper and wider and stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice didn't make her any less frightened than she were before, but it made her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered back only by looking with a very low growl. The, dis- the delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus looked at the woman there at the well and he said, I am the Messiah. He revealed to her what Jesus was revealing to his hometown. And the question for you and I today is have you come to Jesus? Have you come to him, embracing him for living water? Have you come to drink? of what he offers. You see Jesus in that passage from Isaiah, he's telling these people that are poor and oppressed and captive, Jesus is reminding each of them that I am your riches, I am your freedom, I am your sight, I am your liberation. So today, the Bible says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I wonder today, how would you answer that question, who is jesus and what will you do with jesus today you know some of us have this idea that we'll deal with jesus tomorrow and we just don't know if we have tomorrow so the bible says if you hear his voice today if jesus is telling you to come to him and to believe in him and to drink from him today then don't delay don't delay Notice what happens, end of the verse, verse 30. They're about to hurl Jesus off the cliff. They wanted this sign, they wanted this miracle that he really was claiming to be the Messiah. And then the most ironic thing happens. They're given a miracle, yet they don't see it. Notice, but passing through their midst, he what? (laughs) I mean, you imagine it? They're all there, edge of the cliff, about to throw him over. Hey, wait, where's Jesus, you know? Do you have him? No, I thought you had him. I thought you had his arm, you know? And it's like, and then he's, he's gone. Why was he gone? His time had not yet come. Here's the question, my friend. Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Father, we ask that your word would bring life to our souls. Father, we are like Jill in that story where sometimes, Lord, our fear of, of, of you or our misperceived understanding of who you are would keep us away. But you remind us, Lord, there is no other name for salvation. There's no other stream. There's no other place where we can come and find life. And God, some of us today are in a place in our life where we have begun to push you away we've doubt and questioning and fear and cynicism lord has all come into our heart where we've begun to question who you are and lord we might be in a place right now where we're even lord teetering on just throwing in the towel on faith altogether but god i pray for each person here today that god if they're hearing your voice speak If today, Lord, you're extending your hand in grace to them to receive you for salvation, to continue to believe in you for salvation, Lord, help them not turn away. Lord, may we not be like these people that rejected you. And God, to reject you in this life is to reject you for all eternity. And God, the the reality is today, this is a weighty thing because there is souls of men and women that just hang in the balance of eternity on this simple question of what will they do with Jesus? Will you believe in him or will you reject him? Will you have faith in him and receive him or will you push him away? And God, I can't answer for anyone else but me. And Lord, those that are here this morning can't answer for anyone else but them. But Father, I pray this morning that if your spirit is drawing that God, they would not turn you away, but God, they would lean in for the grace and mercy and help that they could receive. So we ask you to do a mighty work in each heart here today. We we ask this all in Jesus' name we pray, amen.